You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we've hit a milestone. Someone on Instagram, <laughs> someone on Instagram sent us a virtual chip. We're having over 200 followers. Wow. That's impressive. We want to thank, we want to thank a higher power whom we choose to call God. <laughs> for all the help and support from the wow. IG, from the Insta followers. Woohoo! Oh my goodness. Too funny. That's a little bit Keep of a joke. Coming. Keep them coming. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, yeah. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's alcoholics alive. That's our username. You can also follow us on Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> and, everything, <laughs> and Facebook. Facebook. All of that is alcoholics alive. We yep. prefer Instagram and TikTok, but, uh, <laughs> Anyway, good to have everyone today. We've uh, we've got a great guest today. Our, our guest, now her name is actually Susie, but we're calling her the Don. She's a she's the the, the patriarch of many. Oh, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, Susie, Don, how are you? I'm good, Jerry. Thanks, and Susie, hope you're well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this. Uh, I don't know about the Dawn, but we'll see how that works. That's a little odd for me. Uh, Susie's usually my regular name, but we'll go with that. I just want to say I'm really, like I said, I'm glad to be here. I think uh, talking about my last drink is my uh, objective, so I'll get there quickly. You know, I was a young woman that never had really any direction or any parental influence. My uh, father died at a young age. I was a kid, 12 years old. My mother was a real bad alcoholic and that's not why I drank but um by the time I was 12 I had my first drink and within about 14 years I'd had consequence after consequence run away uh, went in and out of jail had uh, problems couldn't start school stop school couldn't attend school got thrown out of school had a lot of relationships broken nobody in my family wanted anything to do with me anymore so by the time I was about 26 years old I was living in a pretty bad, uh, beat up old trailer, probably a Thunderbird trailer, if you know those from the 50s in the back of the trailer park. Nice. I was with a man who had uh, dated me when he was probably 34 when I was 16, if that tells you anything. And uh, I was hanging out with him for about 10 years because he promised to get me a ring. And uh, we uh, pretty much drank alcoholically most nights. And uh, pretty soon I was doing cocaine also so I could continue to drink. And they were we were in that trailer for several days and he had hooked up a phone to a neighboring trailer so we could get more. And I remember <clears throat> laying on the floor in there and I remember saying bottles old English. That was my drink of choice at that point. Um, I was somebody that drank until it was gone. And if I had to find more, I'd do anything to find more. So at that point it was available on the floor. I was drinking bottles. I was sick and I had a sleeping bag around me. I, uh, was pretty ill from doing a lot of drugs intravenously 
that uh, particular evening beforehand. And the sun was coming up, birds were chirping. And I remember looking out across the window to uh, the inside of the trailer park, the nice part, and there was a man and woman, they were getting ready to leave in a car. <clears throat> and I remember looking there and thinking, you know, how do people do that? How do regular people live? They go to work, they have jobs, they pay bills, they have children and families. And I wanted that. And I remember just saying, you know, dear God, help me. And uh, there was no kneeling or any great prayer. I hadn't talked to God or even thought about God in probably about 13 years after my father killed himself. So it was just a thought. And then the thought was followed up with the voice. And I didn't know if it was my head or if my boyfriend was saying it, but I heard pick up the phone. And I remember hauling the phone closer to me and pushing zero. And back then an operator would actually answer the phone. And uh, that was September 28th, 1987. And uh, that day I talked to somebody, uh, eventually the operator called someone and a man from King County Detex called me and asked me if I wanted help. And he didn't offer me an Uber or a sandwich. He just said, if I wanted to get well, the bed was available till 9.30 and I needed to get there. And something inside of me helped me walk away from the rest of the bottle of Old English I went to the top of the street, I got on a bus, and I went to detox that day. And I've not had a drink or anything since that day. And the funny thing that day, what happened, I was so sick, I couldn't eat. I weighed 89 pounds, so I had four teeth on the roof of my head. And they didn't know what to do with me. I couldn't go to a meal or anything. I couldn't swallow, so they rolled me into the back of the AA meeting at the end. And a woman said, I've been free. I haven't thought about a drink or a drug in 10 years. I've found freedom here. And uh, after that, I told her that was crap. And she told me that there was a way out. And she asked me what my name was, honey, is how she called me. I didn't like it much. And I said, my name's Susie. And she said, are you done for good and all? Have you had enough yet? And then she asked me, was I willing to do anything in AA to stay sober? And finally, she asked me, was I willing to believe in a power greater than myself? And uh, she said, God, I didn't like that much. And she eventually said, you know, group of drunks, good orderly direction, I think came out. And I said, I can do that. And two days later, after I got out of detox, I had gone uh, to the, uh, she'd given me an address. I thought it was going to be a phone number, but it was an address to an AA meeting that she attended. It was her home group. And I went there two nights later and met her early. And she took me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's how I got here, line by line, word for word. And I literally had a psychic change and joined a home group. And that was the beginning of it all. That's awesome. So what's your sobriety date? September 29th, 1987 is the first day. 1987. Yes. And been been sober since you first came to AA. Yes. Not ever had to pick anything up. No other chips. That's awesome. (laughs) Hey, if you lived in a Thunderbird trailer and drank Old English, you fit right in with me and Shank. (laughs) That's right. We can identify with that. Yeah, I'm part of the club. I know it. Like a good Thunderbird trailer. Uh, Well, thanks for that, Uh, Susie. Um, Cenk, talk a little bit about our topic today. All right. Our topic today is from the pamphlet, This is AA. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs from it. It's a pretty good pamphlet leaflet, maybe. Um, If you have never seen it or picked it up. It's a pretty good one. So a couple of paragraphs from it. Uh, Our experience in AA has taught us two important things. 
First, all alcoholics face the same basic problems, whether they're panhandling for the price of a short beer or holding down an executive position in a big corporation. Second, we now appreciate that the AA recovery program works for almost any alcoholic who honestly wants it to work, no matter what the individual's background or particular drinking patterns may have been. And then one other paragraph in there says, today through the AA program, we do not feel that we have been deprived of anything. Rather, we have been freed and find that a new dimension has been added to our lives. We have new friends, new horizons, and new attitudes. After years of despair and frustration, many of us feel that we have really begun to live for the first time. Hmm. How about that? I love that. That's great. So those are some pretty, couple of pretty strong paragraphs about this is AA. So AA will work for anybody, regardless of your uh, background, social status, or uh, sexual orientation. Absolutely. Doesn't matter. Uh, I like the way they pointed out that no consequences were necessary, or if you had a lot of consequences, mm-hmm. you get sober. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, let's, uh, so Shank, we're going to go into some questions here, or? We do. We have some questions. So because if you have not listened to the first season or the first several episodes in this season, we have kind of talked to death about what AA is, what it is not. What is sponsorship? Um, We have covered many of these topics uh, over and over. However, it's really important for me to remember those things. And I really needed that when I was new, just to be told things over and over and over and to read it over and over and over. So we have some questions that we're going to ask the Don here. We're going to ask Susie Squared. Yeah. So forget forget everything you've you've heard us say over the last three months we got the dawn on she's got that's this, right she's got the real answers she's about to lay down the truth <laughs> she's gonna lay it down that's funny all right What's the first so, one we got uh the first question is how would you describe the primary purpose of alcoholics anonymous and what does the fellowship aim to achieve so what do you think Susie? Well, what all that I know, the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous is Tradition Five, and that we're to, you know, help the suffering alcoholic, regardless if that's somebody brand new or if it's somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous that, you know, stopped working this way of life and they're literally dying of alcoholism in our arms. And I really think that that AA is a fellowship. We have a responsibility and a duty to carry what was so freely given to us to others. What do you think the fellowship aims to achieve? Continuation of a, a solid foundation in Alcoholics Anonymous where we practice principles in the unity of putting others before ourselves and being able to make that sacrifice in that time and help others recover from alcoholism like what I was doing. What do you think, b it's, really, it's one of the... Uh first promises in the book is in the, that forward to the first edition where it says that we're more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And then it says to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of the book. So I know it's referring to the book there that the main purpose is to show the people how to recover. I, I would say that's probably the main purpose of the, 
of the fellowship and of Alcoholics Anonymous is to, to help others recover from alcoholism and also to provide a design for living. Yeah. Right. So not only do we get sober, but once we get sober, we're, we're kind of given the opportunity to, to live a life of service and to live a life of, of, of just trying to be you know helpful to other people, which is probably the opposite of how we lived before we got here. We, we took and we were, I was extremely selfish and self-centered and I wanted everything to go my way and wanted people to do what I wanted them to do. So I think that that, eh, that's kind of what it is for me. I agree. I think probably when I was really new, when let's just say like in my first six months of sobriety, you know, I was sober for three months, two months, not in treatment. And then I went to prison. So if you had asked me, you know, well, what is the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous? I would say uh, to quit drinking. <laughs> like, sure. I don't think that I could have really conceptualized what that really meant. I just knew that I could not continue living the way I had been living. And I didn't want to continue living the way I had been living. Now that I've been around for a little while, you know, I agree with what both of you have said. It's definitely to to help others to try to add to the stream of life, to try to add to Alcoholics Anonymous and not just, quote, need a meeting and show up and complain about whatever happened there. Um, it's really to to be of maximum service to, to God and my fellows. And that may be outside of AA sometimes, a lot of the time. Sure. But it's definitely to show up and to be there for the new people as you all were there for me when I got here. Yep. What are you implying there, Shank, that we're old? Well, <laughs> um, I didn't say that. <laughs> I no. did not say that. I mean, are you trying to say I'm old? Because You, you are catching for, up. For, <laughs> you for are. 10 years. You're, so. you're catching up. You are catching up. Is that how this happens? One day you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I've been here for 30 years. Kind of. Yeah. 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 That's kind of how it happens. All right, Don, the Don. <laughs> what you I got? Guess, I guess the fit tradition does spell out the purpose, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Here's a question directly from the pamphlet. What is a spiritual awakening? spiritual awakening immediately for me was to participate in stuff I would have never done otherwise. For instance, I never, when my sponsor said Friday, we're going to a meeting to go hear so-and-so speak, you're getting in the car, we'll be there in front of your, uh, your housing at like, you know, seven fifteen. My first thought was I want to stay home or go to that meeting where all those cute boys are on Friday night. And I just went anyway, even though I went against what I wanted to do. So to me, that was the first awakening is taking action that was opposite of what I wanted to do. It was weird. I, I couldn't figure out why I was doing that. And uh, kneeling and praying was so foreign to me. I knew that was absolutely going against what I would better choose to do with my time. Those kind of things were the beginning of a spiritual awakening. 
and finally seeing things differently. Uh, that first little bit of inventory in, in step five, when I heard the truth about myself, I could finally take some of that truth. A couple of things like that were the beginning of an awakening. Yeah. Shank, have you been spiritually awakened? Or do you just have an experience? Or is there a difference? Um, I personally wouldn't say there's a difference. You know, I was definitely one of those people when I got here that where it talks about in the spiritual experience, um, you know, it says in layman's terms, I guess, that they'd been talking about, you know, the previous chapters in the book, like all of these sudden spiritual changes and that that's you know not what happens to everyone for most people it's the educational variety I had a sudden and powerful um moment with my creator and you know I don't talk about it much because people get really weird about it I think um in this day and age but I did and I was changed and I was only you know a week sober at that point maybe not even Um, And I knew that I could have a relationship with a power greater than myself and that I could be different. So it did happen quite suddenly for me. Now I was told by a sponsor, like that doesn't mean that you get to quote rest on your laurels and that this is going to carry you through sobriety your entire life. Like you have to continue to put effort into having a relationship with a higher power to have that changed attitude and perspective on life and to continue growing relationship with your higher power to help others. But, um, that very, you know, first sudden change helped me through for quite some time, I would say. Yeah. I guess if you follow what the book says, you can't recover without a spiritual experience. Mm -mm. I think it, it says there in chapter two or not chapter two, but, um, we agnostics. Mm-hmm. that if you have what they're describing, then a spiritual experience is necessary to conquer it, I think is the term that it actually, alcoholism. That it actually uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably one of the you know, first, probably ev- that's probably some of the first evidence that you're starting to have a spiritual awakening is that the obsession to drink leaves. And that kind of happened to me when I was about three months sober. I just, I'd, I'd gone through some really difficult things in that first three months of sobriety. And it kind of came to one morning and realized like, man, I didn't even think about drinking. Yeah. Matter of fact, staying sober hadn't been that hard since I got here. Whoa. Liv- living Whoa. is, uh, living <laughs> is, uh, That's living can be a pain, but the idea of drinking and like turning to a drink because I stubbed my toe. I mean, I, I just, that's just not been my experience. And yeah. Well, it says in the spiritual experience, the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yeah. So there you go. Having, yeah. What'd you say, Don? I, I've had I had awakenings. Maybe no, I probably had experiences tr- drinking moments where I felt I was close to God, and those passed. But an awakening ever since that the drink problem went, and also when I started taking action that was opposite of how I felt, 
ever since I started having awakenings, I continue to have more. And it, you know, it's, it's a different kind of thing. I don't just have experiences and, that I attribute to God now because of hindsight. I, I actually have awakenings because my behavior changes. I want different things in my life. And I ask, you know, I believe that there's a God underlying all this. Now I have this sense of security that I never had before. And I truly believe that's an awakening as well. It's yeah. very different than an experience. Yeah, a good friend of mine, he's dead now. Oh, here's some shrapnel. He's in the big meeting in the sky. <laughs> There's some shrapnel for you right there. It's always cracked me up. I mean, I don't know if there's actually a big meeting in the sky, but we'll we'll roll with it. But he used to say that um, anytime you find out, like, discover the truth about yourself, that you've, you've been kind of awakened spiritually. Or if you if you like kind of walk out of an old idea and have a new kind of concept on stuff that you, that you've awakened spiritually, I've always I think so. That's probably pretty accurate. Um, but I've always I've always liked the the promises after the ninth step. To me, they describe a spiritual awakening. When it, I mean, because it's the complete opposite of how we used to live and how we used to feel and think. And so I think that that. If you follow the book, I think those promises after the ninth step kind of describe what happens if we have taken the first nine steps to the best of our ability, that we do come into a new relationship with our God, with with a power greater in ourselves, and we we feel different, and we've got a new outlook on life, and you know, fear and doubt and stuff just doesn't dominate us as much. I love what it says in the Shankar referred to the spiritual experience in the back of the book. But that one comment that says most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Or more religious members call it God consciousness. So if we There was definitely a period of time in my sobriety, and if anyone's listening to this and you knew me during this period of time, um I apologize. Uh, I'll make official amends to you later. But <laughs> Where I really felt like um, I needed to define the difference in my spiritual awakening and my spiritual experiences. And, you know, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast where I really felt like I had missed out on parts of Alcoholics Anonymous when I was incarcerated. And I just really wanted to be able to experience it fully. And this was kind of part of it for me where I'm like, okay, I need to define these times in my life where it was an awakening or an experience. And what's the difference? And um, for me, anytime I'm trying to get too um, educated on anything in Alcoholics Anonymous, I just know that I need to take a step back. And there was a period of time where I was telling everyone my different experiences my different awakenings and my sponsees. I was just, you know, trying to make sure they knew the difference in theirs. And it was just like a lot. And going back to just keeping it simple for me, the easiest thing is just to say, you know, it, they're interchangeable to me. It could be one or the other or both, or maybe they are different. All of those things are fine. I'm just not trying to really define it in that way today. Cause it, I mean, I was very indignant about it, probably. (laughs) Like, um, you're calling that an experience. That was an awakening. Wow. Um, 
learn the difference, you know, like I could just see myself doing that. So Shank has just made a virtual men's to several of you out there. So just take it and run. Take it and run. That's right. Yeah. You probably you want to before I rescind it. Be looking for an Instagram post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like we've said on a lot of other stuff. The important thing is to try to have one. Yeah. Well, whatever you call it, hey, that that's that's fine. But just try to try to uh try to awaken spiritually, try to grow spiritually. And, I, I there, may, and there may be a difference, you know, but I just need to not get in that area of intelligence personally. It was a relief to me to know that God had been with me both, you know, both whatever you want to call it, like you said, Susie, but God had been with me drunk and God had been with me sober and he still is, you know, and Mm -hmm. at times I didn't realize that, but awakening and or experience, but I had many of those even drinking. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like that. I like the term God consciousness. Me too. I feel like, I feel like that's kind of disappearing in the fellowship that no one uses the term very often. Are you one of our more religious members? You know, not really. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, knew, I used to be. Oh, I was pulling people in, preaching to them, and doing all kinds of stuff. But uh, the term "God consciousness" within is 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 pretty powerful. Yeah, I do well, like that. Well, and God consciousness is probably going away a little bit because it's so hard right now in the fellowship. For people to say, like, like you were kidding earlier, that God, I'm, I'm going to call God. My, my higher power is God. I mean, we don't need permission to say the word God. It's throughout our book. I think there's an issue with that to begin with. I never look at it that way, but it does seem like that's like you got to apologize for for using it now. Exactly. Yeah. Shouldn't have to. No. Okay. What's the next question, Shane? All right. So number three, we have, what is the significance of anonymity in AA and how does it contribute to the success of the program? You know, the first real understanding of anonymity for me was, um, I know it's years ago, but like somebody like Lindsay Lohan, some famous person had gone out and quoted how she was a member of AA and then she got drunk in a terrible car accident and it was all over the news. And, you know, it just makes AA look really bad. Like it doesn't work. And unfortunately I I see that a lot with people that pontificate about how they're members of AA on Facebook and on, on all kinds of social media platforms today, as well as in the past. And I find that, you know, the damage we can do to AA in the instant is detrimental and, you know, I never was worried about any neighbor or friend or relative knowing about me being a member of AA. If anything, most of my, my family was thrilled I wasn't drinking and most everybody <laughs> was a terrible drunk. So it was a relief to see I was trying to do anything positive. So AA was a good thing. And the fact that I was a member was welcomed in my community, my son's school at our church, they all knew I was an AA, but, you know, so it was never about fear. It was always about trying to be respectful to the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and try to humbly be one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I like what it says in the first, in, in the forward of the first edition, 
when writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to omit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Don't you have a story about that? So I. <laughs> you do. Do I? <laughs> Don't you be written up in the in a publication? I have. Yeah. Yeah, and actually in a new in a, in a local newspaper, I also but. That's not what I was going to say, Shank. I was thinking about. <laughs> I was thinking about the term "personal name." Mm-hmm. So I I actually have researched that, and personal name is basically your last name, using your last name. You're, and there's a difference between personal name and given name. Given name is your first name. And so back then, what they were saying was that the proper way to introduce yourself would be, I'm Jerry, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. We should bring that back. We should. I've tried, and people thought I was goofy as hell, so I, 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 I ditched it. I still say it every once in a while. Um. But I think anonymity is important to the fellowship because it, it's really, it really was intended to stop certain people from being spokespeople for Alcoholics Anonymous. It was, it was designed to stop people from going out publicly claiming that they were speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was to avoid big shotism and thinking that we have like a Messiah or somebody that's in charge. And it's turned into a lot of stuff that it never was intended to be. I, I, I believe. Um, so it's just like this podcast. We we're not doing video. We don't claim to speak for a, there's, there's a disclaimer at the beginning that says we don't get paid and we don't speak for alcoholics anonymous. Um, but actually maybe we do. We don't, we're not really going to tell you. <laughs> just, just, just trying to bring a little fun to it. Um, so I think it's still important. And, you know, we had to your point real quick, I think we're going to do a, a, a complete episode on anonymity, nice. but we had a couple of local celebrities here that, that went into the, that the local paper did stories on them and disclosed that they were members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we tried to get GSO and our local dele- and our area delegate to talk to the paper about them. Neither one of them would, they just wanted to send letters. So me and another AA member, uh, don't get me started on that, but me and another AA member met with the editor of the paper and explained our position on anonymity and he never heard of it, and but he was very helpful. And he, but when we got done explaining everything, and said, you know, probably would have been good if you hadn't disclosed that they were A members. He just very politely looked at. It, he says, "Well, that that sounds like that's your problem, not mine. I mean, <laughs> you, you, it's your member that told me to do it, right? It's your member mm-hmm. that that disclosed it. That's not that's." And he had us. I mean, it was like, yeah, but gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. So, you know, that stuff is really, it's really our problem if if the public and if uh, media doesn't understand what our policy is, it's our fault for not educating them. Which I believe is um, 
for most things that are misrepresented and misunderstood yeah. about Alcoholics Anonymous, I think it is the members who are at fault um, for not better. We need better sponsorship. This is a whole separate issue. This is not about anonymity yeah. at all. But, um, you know, I do believe that it is on the members. Yeah. Well, anonymity was always yeah. a form of protection back then. That was what it was mm-hmm. for. Right. And to keep it, to keep AA, you know, uh, not infiltrated by any part of society also. They didn't want that. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, um, the one thing that you pointed out, Shank, that came out of Dr. Bob and the good old timers, where it says it's on page 264. It says, as far as anonymity was concerned, we knew who we were. It wasn't only AA, but our social life. All of our lives seemed to be spent together. We took people home with us to dry out. The Cleveland group had the names, addresses, and phone numbers of all its members. In fact, I remember Dr. Bob saying, if I got up and gave my name as Dr. Bob S., people who needed help would have a hard time getting in touch with me. Yep. This is a lesson I think I've learned mostly over the past, we'll say four or five years, because I really held my anonymity as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous really close to the chest. I work in a client based business and, you know, people would like bring me wine for Christmas or be like, oh, we should go out for a drink or whatever. And I would say that I didn't drink, but I would never say like, I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous for the longest time. And I think that it was more of like fear, but I used my shield of anonymity of like, well, you know, I'm just practicing the program of anonymity. And, um, (laughs) you know, I was told by someone like, Hey, we should not be anonymous in our community. You know, like how are people going to get help if they don't know who we are? And I was just kind of faced with this problem of like, wow, this person is right. But I'm like, kind of, I still don't want to do it now. Sober January is a thing or dry January, sober October. And so my clients are always doing this. And over the last several years, you know, they're like, oh, do you know how hard it is not to drink for like two weeks or you know, and with some people, they're just like trying to lose a few pounds, but I have learned to say, well, you know, like if you really find that you can't stop or you're having trouble with it, like I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, like I'm a recovered alcoholic. And the ones that remember are the ones that probably have a drinking problem. And then several of my clients forget and like, they still bring me wine for Christmas and I don't have to have a meltdown over it. I just like, give it to someone else in my office building. It's like not a big deal, but several of them do remember that and have asked me questions after the fact, like, Oh my God, you've been cutting my hair for eight years or I've been cutting their hair longer than I've been sober. And they're like, well, what is that? Why you like left for a while? Like, is that why I couldn't find you for a while? Or, I mean, I don't necessarily tell everyone I've been to prison. That's something else, but, um, you know, I'm glad that it was explained to me, even if it was five years into my sobriety, like, Hey, your community should know that you're sober. Yeah. Yeah. It took us a while to break you. I know it really did. Me me and the Don are glad you finally listened. (laughs) 
We tried for a while. Yeah. Y'all were both really trying to wear me down. And I was just like, ooh, I don't know. Well, and around that time too, the company I had worked for wanted me to do like a video or DVD for the company um, before I went out on my own and just talk about like being sober and not necessarily about AA, but kind of like how I got sober because I was quote in their words, such a great employee. And I freaked out. So it was like, I got this whole like crash course and anonymity, but also like people should know that you're a recovered alcoholic and, um, yeah. Orange yeah, jumpsuit really to success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Orange jumpsuit to success. <laughs> Shank. Mm-hmm. But y'all did, y'all wore me down and thank God yeah. for that. It's a well, beautiful it's good. to have that freedom and not worry about if somebody finds out you're an alcoholic. It can only be a benefit later on. So many people that I've been around in my life, I didn't worry about it. And I've had many neighbors and friends, like I said, church members, people call me, uh, people in and out of uh, communities. It, it's, it's a gift. I didn't know yeah. it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're new and you, you, you're going to attend AA, if you go to a good group, they're going to respect your anonymity, if that's what you want them to do. And, and they're going to keep a confidence. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a great point. The, um, let's look at this next one from the pamphlet. It says, in what ways do AA members offer support and guidance to one another throughout their sobriety? Interesting question, kind of open-ended. What do you think, Don? Well, it, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of support in Alcoholics Anonymous today. Um, when I got sober, I uh, pretty much relied on my home group for my support. I didn't know a lot of people in my community at all that were sober. I was living in a, a halfway house at the time. So I was with women, some that were mentally ill, some that were alcoholic, and some that were both. And uh, I didn't have a lot of social experiences there with them. I wasn't like a lot of those girls. They were still, you know, drinking and stuff and uh, sober when they, uh, you know, went into their drug tests. But I looked to AA and what I found in my home group was people living a life that I wanted. You know, people were getting jobs. They were going back to school. They were getting married. People had babies. They, they were able to, you know, raise a family. They were able to go on about life and that's where, you know, that's where I got the help that I needed. I remember when uh, I was a new parent and I had no idea how to discipline my child. I'd come from a childhood I didn't want to repeat as a parent. I didn't want to do the same kind of discipline that I had been involved in when I was a kid. And one of the members, I watched him one day and I just saw him sit his young son on his knee and he talked to him. And I'd never seen that kind of way to pull a child aside and not embarrass him, but just talk to him directly. Keep your hands to yourself. We don't hurt other people. You know, we, we just don't do that. Uh, you know, we don't raise a hand to others and we use our words and just, I'd never even known those kind of, that kind of language, but I'd learned so much from other people in my own group, how to be a member, how to be a, a, a you know, a part of a family, how to work, how to continue to work. I had people help me when I, you know, wasn't able to hold a job very well. I always wanted a mental health day and I had a sponsor drive me into work and make me tell the truth. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have a lot of people for support. Yeah. Yeah, me too. 
I was thinking as you were talking, I mean, the answer to that question is it's, it's basically everything. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got friends in the, in the program that I've, I've experienced everything that life can experience from, from the, the birth of a child to marriage, to divorce, to rich, poor, to death. Um, and I think the term support and guidance is interesting because I know personally, whenever I've asked for guidance from somebody in the program and I follow the guidance, I'm, I'm always supported by them, regardless of what, what I do or don't do or what the outcome is. And, um, I think I, and I've, and most of that support is without judgment and, um, so I, I mean, I try to, you know, to, to pass that on to others is to support people in what they're trying to do and, or get them good, give them good guidance and then support them in what they're trying to do. If the, if they follow the guidance, <laughs> <laughs> right. If they don't su- follow the guidance, I'll still support them, but I might, might remind them of a few things, but. Um, I think it's, I think it's funny that as I learned more and more of the truth about myself and the more mistakes I made. I think I would, I began to be a little bit softer and a little bit kinder to people over time when I sponsored them because I had a, a better understanding of, of accepting people and letting them not do what I thought was right or what I thought would be a good suggestion, even though they asked me and they chose not to do it, but learning how to be there for them, regardless of their choices, that has been the great, you know, one of the greatest gifts, just, you know, accepting people as they are truly trying to be loving and tolerant regardless of any ideas that I have myself. I think that's yeah. the greatest thing I'm practicing still every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when I'm helping somebody, I, we had a, a, the last episode was on, or two episodes ago was on sponsorship. It kind of hit me afterwards. I'll get, I'll get as involved with somebody as they want me to get involved. This yeah. would be kind of the answer, you know, and, um, I wouldn't give anybody guidance for anything I don't have experience on. I would help them find the the right guidance. Um, but I've got people that I help that it's a kind of a surfacey phone call every once in a while. And I've got some people that I know way more about and I'm, I'm more involved than I, <laughs> I'd like to be sometimes, but that's yeah. what they're, that's what they're asking. So, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that. So, um, you can find anything you want now, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a great point. Hopefully you just want to find sobriety, but get other stuff. Right, Shank? That's right. Shank, you were a group project when you were in. So, I mean, you were probably well supported when you were, uh, <laughs> when you went from orange to, to greens or beige or yellow, whatever they wore. I that. was in browns. Okay. I didn't ever make it. Oh, to you green. were serious. Oh, brown. Well, then yeah. you were like, a, you were hardcore. I didn't ever make it out of the, well, maybe like the last few days, maybe I was in greens then. That was Max. Was released. Mm-hmm. Brown. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I still kind of have some trouble with this because my friends in AA, you know, they're always like, oh, well, I call you because you're going to be honest with me. And it's that fine line of, um, 
well, I think people, I don't know how to say it without sounding, mm, it's like being honest versus being mean. And so for me, it's like this fine line of offering support and guidance to someone and not necessarily telling them what they want to hear. You know, I think it can be a tough thing sometimes for me in sobriety. I always try to lead even my friends and I like to be led back to something in the big book, something in our literature, you know, um, no matter what the issue is. So I do always try to kind of do that, but I do feel like sometimes people expect me to be someone I'm not. And then in turn, that's just like circular, right? Um, yeah. And we just keep going and going and going. So I think sometimes offering support and guidance for me means just um, saying, I don't know to people and saying, yeah. I would probably um, talk to your sponsor or you know, here's what I would read in the book, or here's what I would do as it concerns Alcoholics Anonymous to deal with this issue, because Alcoholics Anonymous has given me the solution to every problem I've ever had. And it's yeah. typically helping someone else. Um, it's typically helping someone else yeah. getting out of myself. I like this quote that you found from Clarence Snyder. Uh, the old that old AA sponsorship pamphlet says any AA who has not experienced the joys and satisfaction of helping another alcoholic regain his place in life has not yet fully realized the complete benefit of the fellowship. I think many people are missing that piece. Absolutely, that you just read. Yeah, we've got a yeah. lot of folks that just have never had those experiences. Yeah. And then the book there's, says, go ahead. There is someone that I genuinely, truly love so much. And she's been around Alcoholics Anonymous for longer than I have. She's been in and out. And the one thing that she has never done is sponsor someone else's help another woman through the steps. And every time I talk to her, I'm like, you have to help someone else. You know, like you don't yeah. get to keep this and not help someone else. You have to help yeah. someone else. Yeah. Shouldn't be an option really. Mm -mm. Yeah. It's kind it's of almost, our, what's that? It's almost, Madonna? it's almost a badge that they, people can stay in and not do it. It's almost yeah. as if people can stay in and not do it. it. I've never found anyone stay and be successful and find the freedom that you guys were talking about earlier. I, I've never seen that. Like Susie's talking about people that go in and out. They never, they think they've done everything in AA and they never have. They've never fully done all their amends, nor have they given to another person, not even sponsored, but even go to a detox and share their story or sign up or go into a jail. They've never done those things. And it's so sad. There's such a piece of life that they don't get to be a part of. Yeah. It's really an expectation if you're going to be a member is you're going to have to help somebody. I didn't know it was never an option for me. <laughs> no, no, we, we've been, we've been blessed with some really solid sponsorship and great home groups and direction. You know, I may not have agreed with everything that was ever said to me. That's so certain, but I, I look back and I think how blessed of a, of people that were in my life and still are today. I'm very blessed. We are very fortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. 
a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. Yep. How about it that? Is not. And guidance, when in doubt, you know, when in doubt, I was always told, tell the person to pray. When in doubt, always pray until you hear your direct experience. Yep. That's yep. right. What's All the right, next last question. Shank? All right, Shank, what we got? What advice would you give to someone who is considering joining AA or who is just starting to get sober? Come, come right now. Come as you are. And know that there's a lot of wonderful people in Alcoholics Anonymous that want you to find that freedom and find the happiness. And we're here for you. And there's no expectation. You don't have to have any money, any kind of a social status. It doesn't matter what consequences you've endured. It doesn't matter what you haven't done yet, how much you drink or how often you drank. It's the fact that we're here. And if you want to quit, we have come to find a way out. And, you know, it's a, a solution that we all understand. And uh, it, it's the most wonderful thing there is that I've ever found is alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the simple answer to that would be go to a, a meeting or a good group. I guess a new person may not know the difference, but go to a meeting and try to find a, a recovered alcoholic, get a book and read the book and start doing what, you know, get a sponsor. That's the, 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 the simple answer. It's probably really the, the right answer too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what, if somebody shows, I think if somebody shows up at the right group, if, if they show up and just say, Hey, here I am, that the people in that group are going to, help guide that person in the right direction if they're you know truly sincere and, and will or even willing absolutely sp- sponsor says you don't even have to have the right motives a lot of times if you just show up at the, in front of the right people doesn't really matter what That's your right. motives are yeah well i sponsored a girl for a while who you know came to alcoholics anonymous she had been in treatment and she had a sponsor for like a year a couple years maybe that never worked the steps out of the big book with her and she was still having an experience. She was still having a spiritual experience. She was changing. She wanted to know more and do more. She ended up at a meeting at my house and was like, Oh my gosh, like this stuff you're talking about sounds amazing. Like I want to do that. Um, So I was able to help her in that way. She had wanted to be sober and be a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she was doing exactly what she was being asked to do. And when she got in, in front of a group of people that had worked all the steps out of the big book, talked about the big book all the time, she was like, wow, let's do that. Um, and she's still sober today. I don't sponsor her anymore, but it was just such a cool experience. Like, I hate that she didn't have that for the first year, couple years of her sobriety, but she was doing what was asked of her, yeah. you know? So she found the big book when she found it and was willing to really jump in and do what was that it was much more painful she was like the way i was doing this before was way easier <laughs> uh-huh. you know but um you know i've always i always like think about that how i'm like i don't know if i could have stayed sober without the steps and without people you know this whole team of women saying yes you do have to sponsor other women immediately right now 
Yeah. You know, read the book, do what it says. Um, but there are people who, you know, I guess just arrive to the big book whenever they do. I guess. I believe people, God honors those people that are willing to do whatever's put in front of them. That mm-hmm. strong willingness and desire to be different you talked about, Susie. I believe that willingness with a power greater than ourselves is all that's required. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know this, but I think if I would have rolled into some half measures group or more fellowshipy or or even was told to to go to a you know, hey, you need to go to a young person's meeting since you're young, you I wouldn't be here right now. Mm-hmm. I'd have three wives and fifty three children. <laughs> I mean <laughs> uh from the from the young people meeting and then I mean, that half measure stuff, I, there's no way I would have made it, I don't think. But I, I, I'm grateful to, that, I, that I walked in where I walked in, that I was guided there. So. I'm glad that I have had that experience now because I have always wondered, like, well, how do these people stay sober? And some of them, yes, are just dry alcoholics. There's no doubt about that. But it's kind of broadened my horizon. You know, I did, I went through the steps with someone who has like double the amount of sobriety as I do, you know, in the last six months. And she was like, well, yeah, I mean, I haven't done it in a long time. You seem to be recovered. And so the fact that I was even open-minded or willing enough to do that is beyond me. And I think it's because I've had this experience with someone who um, hadn't done that, was able to stay sober, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, this is AA. (laughs) Shank, let's move to meeting shrapnel. The best part. All right, we got the Don buckling. Buckle up. Buckle up. (laughs) Zena. That's right, Zena. All right. Zena actually is not bad. I'm ready. I kind of like Zena. Yes. All right, meeting shrapnel number one. Easy does it. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I, I, fortunately, I had a sponsor that did not tell me ever to apply the slogan, Easy Does It. My problem was, is I didn't take much action early on, and she was always trying to get me to, you know, take the next right action and do something and be different and get up and, you know, go help that person and get out there and greet and I'm glad that nobody really did that whole easy does it thing. I didn't need any help in, you know, calming down or getting more relaxed. Well, what do you say? Jay Wayne, I believe I've heard this one fly out of your mouth a few times. What's that? Uh-huh. <laughs> easy does it. <laughs> Listen. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let, Let's hear it. I'm sitting in this you. all your sponsees. Let me tell you a little bit about about Easy Does It. (laughs) I personally thought it was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard when I got sober. It was hanging on the wall at one of the clubhouses right next to the upside down think, think, think. (laughs) And I didn't like when people said it. So... So but what changed? At, but at certain, well, hold on, not hold, hold, hold easy now. So at, <laughs> on, <laughs> at some, at 
but it, at some times it would, if I thought about it during the day when my head was scrambling, it would slow me down a little bit. The serenity prayer worked better personally for me. But what has happened over the last several years is I know a lot of people don't like it. So I, <laughs> this is the truth. So I say it to them because I know they're not going to say anything back to me. I just, <laughs> That's not true uh, at all. You uh, like it uh, and you have a tattoo of it on your chest. No tattoos yet. Um, but I love saying it to certain people because I know they don't like it. Now, here's what I got to tell you. It's in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. It is, yeah. So it says we have three little mottos, which are apropos. Yep. Yep. First things first, live and let live, and easy does it. Yep. So I, I can't go against it because it's in the book, I don't think. But I'm going to pray about it, Shank, while you tell us what you think. I don't hey, that, mind it, really. I just don't, you know, I just don't care about it too much. This is not one that's like on my hit list. Yeah. I just yeah, kind of don't care either way. That's a good answer. I think sometimes it's probably, it's like a lot of them. It's used out of context or it might be used when giving somebody a real answer is better. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like the thing that you sent me yesterday about don't drink and go to meetings. Yes. Right. I mean, we use that a lot or people use that a lot. And sometimes there's, there's somebody really needs a real answer. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the, they'll ask a question and clubhouse Joe will say, don't drink and go to meetings. It's because he doesn't have enough experience to actually answer the damn question. Um, and I think sometimes we, we might use easy does it the same way. Oh, just easy does it. Whereas I should have used that as a reply. You should to have. The don't drink and go to meetings. There's still time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's in the book though. I think that it, its intent was probably to tell people to, you know, don't get so worked up and remind yourself that you gave up the management of your life in the third step. So, uh, Zena, we're going to keep it or scrap it. Well, I think I think it has a good point if you can use it the Talk way you into just, it. No, the way you just talked about it, where the management of our life, we've given our life to God. If that was explained in that particular um, slogan, more people might use it in the right way. I think it could be good. Yes. Keep it. I'm, I'm going to keep it because it's in the book. Keep it. Thank you. All right. We're keeping it. Woo! All, right. All right. Hey, if you're listening, we're on record for keeping them. <laughs> we know that we're, we're it's all because of the scrap. Don. That's right. We're pretty <laughs> notorious for scrapping everything, but the Don's here. Yeah. We're keeping it. Keeping it. All right. What's next? All right, shrapnel number two is the principles behind each step. <laughs> so this was, you know, there's like a list 
of the yeah. principle behind each step. One, honesty. Two, open-mindedness. Yeah. Three, willingness. I don't know the rest. Yeah, it's kind of, well, that's because it's not part AA, but I remember when that came out, I think it was, I remember seeing it in the early 90s as like a little bookmark, and I don't know what company did it, but it wasn't AA, and it, it got very popular very quickly, and I was never taught that. I was taught that the steps were a set of principles, and the, you know, the concepts were a set of principles, and the traditions were a set of principles, and in the first 164 pages, weaving throughout that literature is a bunch of other principles. And that's what I was taught. And so when that little list, that hit list you're talking about, Susie, that came out, I never really paid much attention to it. But unfortunately, a lot of treatment centers and other places latched onto that pretty hard and heavy. But it was never anything that I ever used. So I uh, don't really care for that shrapnel too much. I bet our local office here has those bookmarks available for purchase. Oh, I guarantee you they do. <laughs> get them gold plated, or probably get one uh, crocheted on a by a local, yeah, yeah, Clubhouse Alice can do a crochet for you. Clubhouse Alice. <laughs> what do you yeah, think, I, Bebot? Well, I was always taught that uh, principles are the actual steps. Or the steps or the actual principles. Yeah. And I think the book on right after how it works would support that. It yeah. says no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. It's talking specifically about those twelve steps. Yeah. yeah. There you it go. The it's scrapped. The, princi- the principles we've sit down are guides to progress. Yeah. So I went to a th- I spoke at a thing this weekend. And these guys had these shirts on that had their home group on the front of it. I won't say the name of the group. And on the back, it had the no. AA principles and it had 12 principles. No, no. I don't remember Tell what me. all of them are. I'm like, you shank. I can, I don't know. Honesty was one of them. Um, and it's just, I mean, it, it's just dumb. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I, I think we, I don't know where it comes from. People's desire to just make stuff up and people's desire to think that there's got to be more. It, it, it just, it does more damage than it does good. You know, we've got what we need. Exactly. Well, you don't need a doctorate in AA or a master's degree or college education or any of that. And that's the beautiful that has always been the beautiful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous to me. Yeah. Is you need zero education to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't That's need right. money. You don't need prestige. You need nothing. And I don't need an extra specific book to explain to me what it's saying in the big book either. Yeah. Thank right. you. Yeah. Well, our book says no further authentication is necessary. We don't need anything else. Like you That's right. Yeah. So, Zena, you want to keep it or scrap it? Down, scrap it. Get rid of it. Nice. <laughs> Double down. <laughs> Double down. Yeah. Nice. I'm scrapping it. Shank, what you want to do? It's out of here. All right. Gone. What's the next one? The last one. All right. Meeting shrapnel number three. Always say yes to every AA request. Mm. 
Well, you know, sainthood, there ain't no halo over my head, let me tell you. So, <laughs> what, I, what I was taught early on is I say yes to everything possibly that I can do to speak in Alcoholics Anonymous. And any kind of service that I can do, especially my home group, I'm going to do it. And I'm a, I'm a strong uh, proponent for always being at the home group unless I'm sick. God forbid I have to speak somewhere I couldn't control that speaking engagement. Otherwise, I'm there. But when it comes to other things, like when I raised a family, if it was my son's birthday party or something was going on, or I was graduating from college, you know, I, I couldn't speak because I was getting a degree at, you know, it was, I was walking in line to get my degree at college. I remember that happening. So those reasons, and like I talked this morning to somebody, a member that, you know, early on, you know, when the Zoom was very popular, I... Uh, I would always be a speaker if I was asked on Zoom all over the country. And um, in the last uh, few months now, unless somebody is sick, I, I won't do Zoom. I actually will not speak on Zoom any longer unless someone's ill and then I offer to go to their house or I'll bring them in a meeting in an instant. And if I if it's a long distance thing and somebody's sick, I'll be more than happy to speak on Zoom. But otherwise, I only speak at you know live AA meetings. So there are times when I've said no. Yeah. Yeah, I understand the the intent behind this and my experience with it is I I personally took it to the extreme when I was my first several years sober in that I I probably missed um well, I missed a, I missed a grandparent's funeral because of this, because I thought that going to a conference was more important. I regret, regret doing that. Um, and it wasn't like anybody like forced me to do that. It was, it was just, I had this idea in my mind that I couldn't say no. And I've, I've missed birthday parties and dinners because I thought that, you know, going to the dance when the, the dance that's not actually true I don't go to AA dances but going to the to the workshop was more important so I think in in general the idea is that I got to be willing to to say yes I got to be willing to to be of service in the fellowship but there are times where um, I always look at it, I don't think any one thing's any more important than the other they they're all of equal importance and it's sometimes one thing becomes more important than the other, dependent on the circumstances and what it is. So, you know, going to home group is important, but going to the hospital to check on my mom that just got admitted to the emergency room might be more important on that night. And so I don't, I don't think it's a, personally don't think it's a good comment to say to people. Uh, and I, I, it's just, it's just another one that's that's taken out of context or it's taken to extremes. And I've even seen it put people in conflict where there's different interpretations of it. And, you know, so I would triple scrap it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Shank? What you got? Well... Um, as you all both know, but anyone that's listened to this podcast for more than one episode knows, I tend to overcorrect. So, <laughs> no you way. know, there was a, there was a time that 
I was on several AA committees and no one forced me to do that, but I did really, I think it was maybe like, I felt like I was in, you know, the echelon level of AA and I'm on all these committees and I'm just like doing all this stuff. Um, but I got asked to be on a committee. Um, and then everyone that I knew who was on the committee left it and we got, we got kicked off. (laughs) Well, then, you know, a few years later I got kicked off Um, (laughs) and here's the thing is like, I was just doing too much. You know, it was good at that point in my life to be busy in Alcoholics Anonymous, but you know, it would get to the point where I would like, I don't know, I'd be resentful at AA because I have all these AA commitments, which just also didn't make sense to me. Cause I'm like, this is why I have the life I have. And people who say like, AA will give you a life that takes you away from AA. No, I don't believe that either, you know, but it's about balance. So, you know, I am still to this day, very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I say yes to a lot of things in AA. But I think that I am more prayerfully aware of when to maybe take a pause, talk to a few people. Um, You know, I was asked recently to maybe join a committee and, you know, pretty much decided not to, even though I would kind of like to, I want to breathe some new life into it. Like I have all these ideas. It's kind of like, no, I do not need to do that right now. (laughs) I have so many other things going on in Alcoholics Anonymous and otherwise. Um, so I think this is, um, I think this needs to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't fully commit to something, then you're doing those people or that committee a disservice. So to, you know, to say yes, to something that you can't fully commit to is it's not, it's not spiritual. Well, it seems to me like people think having a, um, Maybe this is a side issue. Having some kind of service commitment is going to keep them sober, which I'm not saying it doesn't, but having 10 service positions and just not practicing the principles of AA, like you're going to go down, man. I think another thing that happens is people, because of this particular idea that we have to say yes, people say yes to things they just cannot possibly do. So you have a lot of people now not showing up for everything from, you know, like a committee, like you're talking about Susie to actually not showing up to speak. We we're seeing that more and more people are not following through. So I'd say get rid of it too. I think it's too demanding at that point. And you don't see the full side of what we're talking about to have a commitment is necessary and to put a, a first in, in that area of, of, you know, everything needs to be looked at appropriately with you and maybe some kind of guidance, a sponsor or somebody before you go making all these decisions to show up for everything. Cause you feel like you have to, I think that's crazy. All right, Zena, we're going to leave that as the final word. So you're going to keep it or scrap it. We're scrapping that baby. All right. Single thumbs down. I'm, I'm going to scrap it. Shank. It's out of here. It's out of here. All right. All right. Well, Zena, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. It was uh, it was awesome. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. And, both. Uh, it was wonderful. Yep. If you're out there and you uh, you've got alcoholism and you want to recover, AA can help you to be free. Freedom. 
Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.